Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company. A very special episode this week, as I've been able to catch up with Father Pius Mulebacher, a Benedictine priest who was one of the wonderful fathers at the little monastery in Rabinel del Camino. You're going to love our chat. And a very special thanks to my dear friend, the Russian pilgrim, Natalia, for setting it all up. I'm most grateful for your help and Godspeed, my friend. This is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago. There are 80,000 kilometers of Caminos in Europe and they're pilgrimages walked by pilgrims. Someone asked me at the weekend when I first heard of pilgrimage and I cast my mind back and I'm a bit embarrassed to say it was the Duke. Pilgrim, you're going to need a couple of stitches. Oh, take her easy there, Pilgrim. Well, don't fret about that, Pilgrim. We're all pilgrims on one journey or another. I can't help feeling the Camino calls us for a reason. I saw the pictures from the American pilgrims on the Camino conference at the weekend. All those smiling faces, everyone delighted to be in one another's company. I'm astounded to think it was two years ago that I was there with you. Pre-pandemic, but only just. The Camino provides us with an opportunity to grow. It also provides an opportunity to seek and to find. And it provides something else, something very important to so many. Community. In those pictures of smiling pilgrims from the conference is the warm glow of friendship and company. A flock of pilgrims. Sharing and caring and offering a shoulder to cry on, a hand to lift, arms to carry, and the opportunity to hear one another's stories and to help and to listen, to be who cares and believes. St. Benedict lived from 480 to 547. He founded 12 communities of monks. Many pilgrims who have walked the Camino Frances would have stopped in the small village of Rabinel del Camino. I've stayed in the town twice, at Refugio Gorkelmo, an albergue run by the British Confraternity of St. James. The albergue stands immediately beside the Benedictine Monastery, Monasterio di San Salvador del Monterago, and across the street, Iglesia de la Asunción de Rabinel del Camino, the Church of the Assumption of Rabinel del Camino. The monks say on their website, Our way of life, as defined by St. Benedict, follows that desire for God. Everything in the monastery, the day-to-day organization, the times of prayer and work, the relationships between the brothers, obedience to the superior, our pastoral activity, our dealing with the outside world, and many other dimensions of our life is conditioned by that fundamental movement that leads us to God. Many pilgrims attend the singing of Vespers in the church of an evening, And following the ancient monastic tradition, the liturgy is celebrated using Gregorian chant. Perhaps you were lucky enough to have confession after Vespers to seek counsel from one of the priests. Or perhaps you were lucky enough to meet my guest, Father Pius Mühlbacher. Father Pius is on the line from Germany where he now lives in the community of the Archabbey of St. Ottilian in Ariesing. Father Pius, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. You lived for 10 years in a small monastery in Rabinel del Camino. How do you describe the Camino to people who ask about it? It is very individual why people make the 
Camino, or embark on the Camino. One of my first pilgrims whom I had a long chat with, he did for 25 years or more every year the Camino. And he told me there is nobody or hardly anybody who does not want something or is not wanting something. Some want a new change in their career. Others, the the marriage or the partnership was shaking or broken off. Others did not have any, did not feel any sense in their work they were doing. So there are very different reasons why people go on the Camino. Some feel they were overburdened, very busy, without the inner satisfaction that their work they were doing was uh, did contain any meaning. Then what impressed me most, I give you two, it's like a slide, I give you two uh, images. Yeah. One Italian, a fairly young couple, came along with four children. The oldest girl was about 10, then eight, and then a boy around six. Uh, and the smallest one was still being carried by the father in a backpack. And they came along the way with two donkeys, Every now and then, when the two smaller ones were tired, one of the smaller kids was allowed to ride on a donkey. But otherwise, the two donkeys carried all their luggage. It was a very impressive encounter with this family. A second very impressive encounter was a couple. And they came all the way from, I think, from France, or if not further on, from Belgium. He was blind, used the stick of the blind for orientation, mm. and with, a, with one hand, he touched the backpack of the wife. This was his guide. Imagine they had walked already hundreds of kilometers together. What a, what a tension or what a burden can arise and they were so quiet, just looking forward that they will manage after so many hundred of kilometers, the last 235 as well, till they would reach Santiago de Compostela. How wonderful. This was a, another very impressive meeting or encounter I had with pilgrims. Another Touching experience was, I don't recall the first year when the uh, young Russian lady came on her pilgrimage 2006. I remember her only when she came two years later and stayed for a couple of days with us. Perhaps you have to know that in the monastery we used to receive about 10, 12 pilgrims who wanted to stay for more than one day. Right. The pilgrims' uh, hostels, they sheltered only for one night. And we sheltered them for 
two to five nights if they want it to give them a chance to calm down and uh, find again peace. And this was uh, this offer of ours was frequently accepted, and we always had during the high season the house full. Right. They had, of course, full attention and uh, they ate with us. We took with them breakfast and supper and invited them to the monastery refectory for lunch. And with those people who spent several days with us, of course, you could come and have a good chat every now and then. Do you remember where and when you first heard about the Camino? Oh, it's a long time ago. I performed with our students a drama. Right now the title doesn't come up. Uh, about the Camino. About a very famous story even. When father and son were on the Camino and then the, as they went away, they... They were cheated. The daughter of the innkeeper smuggled a cup or something into the uh-huh. into the backpack and accused them. And the son was then by the judge of the village condemned to death. Was hung, and the father couldn't do anything, so he went on up to the end of the journey to Santiago de Compostela and prayed there. And when he came back, he found his son still hanging on the gallon or on the tree, alive. Then he got him down, and this was a miracle which is uh, to be read in one of the chronicles of along the Camino. Yeah, that's right. And it, and it was... A very great experience of the, and was ascribed to the intercession of St. James. This drama we had performed, and this was my first uh, proper knowledge about the Camino. Did you walk the Camino often when you were in Spain, Father Pius? No, there I must say, in the beginning I wanted to walk the Camino from uh, the French border, 800 kilometers. My main reason by then was to get to know pilgrims and their situation or their needs. Then I said, no, I haven't to walk because the pilgrims are all to pass our place. So I never walked a full Camino, only shorter distances, especially from our monastery up to the Cruz de Ferro, Uh which is the, the top of the... French Camino. You tended the gardens and you did pastoral work among and and for the pilgrims on the Camino. But what did you learn from the pilgrims that you met? I learned a lot. Many of them were happy if they could assist me with something, be it picking uh, cherries when it was the time for for the cherries or working in the garden. One couple I remember very well, they were doctors, medical doctors in my home area even, and I was just 
decorating the church and preparing the the flower arrangements and the lady was very happy to help me with this. My experience was when they worked with me quietly, we always and easily came into rather deep conversations. Mm. Because they were quiet, I was quiet, and then they were prepared to let me know why they were on the Camino and they wanted to hear something. This was one of the best uh, times when I met pilgrims very personally. What did pilgrims need from a priest on the Camino? Some directions. Mm. They, I did it every day when it was my week to lead in prayer and vespers. I always gave them some short homilies, not the right word, short impulses. And this was really appreciated as far as I could see and hear. Yeah, yeah. And when you say um, they needed direction, you're not saying turn left, follow the yellow arrows. No, no, no. Head to the top of the hill. For the inner Camino, for the personal Camino. Yeah. And normally I just spoke for a couple of minutes about the short reading during Vespers. And depending on the reading, then the theme could change, but always viewing at the pilgrims. It was impressive during our Vespers. We had a lady in the village. She was very curious and counted them, even how many were there. And normal attendance was about 60. Then our chapel, small chapel, looked already full. The top was, the top number was 150 something. Wow. The lady counted. And in spite of so many being in the church, the atmosphere was always very quiet. Yes. Prayerful. It was impressive. Yes. And there you could feel and you could see that people had a need, felt a need. Perhaps I have also to add one word about the place. The small monastery in Rabanal del Camino became or was started by a monk of Silos. Silos is a member of the congregation of Sulem in France, and they are very contemplative, singing perfectly the Gregorian chant and having studied, they worked even on the Latin translation, the Vetus Latina. And this young man had walked the Camino twice already, and together with two more, he wanted, uh, he had published even a book about the Camino, and he wanted to do something, not only singing the Gregorian chant. Mm. And this being actively involved in pastoral work, for him, appeared to be, uh, to make sense only 
doing something for the pilgrims, attending to the pilgrims and sheltering pilgrims. So he went, uh, of course, if you want to approach the pilgrims, you can't go when they have just started. Because then they have no experience yet. When you go to close to Santiago, they only want to reach Santiago. And the best place they thought would be a few hundred kilometers before they reach, and especially before they climb up to the Cruz de Ferro, the top place of the Camino Frances. And this is where they found a village in ruins, but they couldn't imagine how they possibly could finance rebuilding one of these ruins. So they went to the Bishop of Astorga. He gave them the pastoral care of five or six small villages near to the Teleno, the top mountain of that area. And only, and one of the parishes had even a very well-maintained parish house where they could stay. They stayed there for a couple of months, taking care of the masses to be said in five, six other villages, but they were too far from the Camino. They couldn't reach the pilgrims. And the pilgrim way didn't pass their villages. So they then received a phone call on the Feast of St. James from two noble ladies, Spanish noble ladies, and invited them to see the house they were living in, in Rabanal del Camino. You can imagine how relieved they were, and for them it was like a miracle, and moreover, on the Feast of St. James. So they jumped into their small car, which they used, and went to Rabanal, were very kindly received by the two ladies. They could have a look around the two buildings. One was more or less only ruins, and the other one was still inhabited by the ladies, and they were surprised how many books they had collected and uh-huh. in, a, in a library which still is our library, the ladies took, when they left, uh, handed over the property, uh, they took their books along with them, but everything else was left behind. And then we found uh, the purser of the Diocese of Astorga. He helped our founders very much, getting in touch with the building company, and so they could restore and partly rebuild uh, a block where we have our house, our rooms now for the monks. These are five rooms for monks and four more for guests, internal guests. And the second property, which was more or less in the ruins, was a year later built as a pilgrim house where we could shelter about 12 pilgrims in a better way than usually or in many albergues or hospitals. 
This was the beginning of our presence there. Wow. What year was that, Father Pius? No, I was not there. I knew it only from hearsay. Right. And of course, I got to know the two noble ladies. They were, they are still together. One is having some problems, uh, health problems, but they are very kind mm. and have helped us also. Yeah. As the pilgrims wander through Rabanel, I'm certain sometimes they just need someone to listen to them. And that's true. And 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 the church and the monastery and and your presence there would have been an opportunity to speak to them and hear yeah, them. That that's the very reason why we were there yeah. and this was very much appreciated. And you rightly say what they mostly needed is somebody who listened to them. And then as talks went on, you heard many, many stories and problems and of course you could give a hint here or there and this was surely what was very much appreciated by the pilgrims. You spent 36 years abroad. Yeah. 15 years in Kenya, 11 years in Uganda, 10 years in yeah. Rabanel del Camino. Rabanel yeah. must have been a vast change to the landscape of Africa. Definitely, you're right. The first change, of course, was I, I had joined Santotilian for the sake of doing missionary work in Black Africa. I was uh, placed to different places where I had to take care of young people when I was young. And I did it very, uh, I tried to do my best and I enjoyed even working with the young people. But when we wanted to inspire young people to join the missionary uh, vocation and join the monastery perhaps, we accompanied certain people whom we had viewed it and took them, gave them a chance to visit our most recent mission parishes in Kenya. And by then, when I reached for the first time Africa, then my first intention, why I joined Sanctotilian, doing missionary work in Black Africa, erupted, I have to say, right. in myself. All right. When I came back, I told the Archabbat, who was my classmate, even from Novitiate. By then I was a boarding master in our boarding school in the gymnasium. And then this classmate of mine told me, sorry, I cannot replace you. You have to continue. This was very hard to swallow for me. And... I thought he would understand my reasoning, but I had to continue for another seven years. This is why I came to 11 years in the boarding school in Santotilian. And they sent me to Africa only when I thought, now I'm too old, that they will send me. But they sent me because I should become prior superior in a new 
kind of foundation in Nairobi where African monks, young African monks, would live together with old missionaries oh. or adult missionaries. And of course, I was a young a youngster and a newcomer for Africa. I tried to pass it on to the abbots who were in charge there that they should rather take another one of the missionaries who had lived there for long. For me, the two languages, English and Swahili, were still new. And secondly, I had no experience, no clue about the environment in the post-colonial years, but they insisted and, and I had to swallow the pill and for the first two years, it was very tough. Yeah. But uh, then I got along with it, and it seems not too bad. And fortunately enough, I had to to build a new monastery. And building had always been something which, what I liked and what I was used to from early youngster years. The great history of the Benedictine order talks of a devotion to Christ, to helping others. So take yourself back to Uganda and to Kenya. It must have been very difficult to see firsthand the hardship these people experience. Yes, I, there you are right, you are very right. But it had been our tradition in the Benedictine order as well as another missionary orders that we normally helped in a twofold way. First, we helped the people in the villages building schools uh. because education is the key to development. Uh-huh. And we normally we say to the people in the villages, you build up the walls, these mud walls or simple walls and we pay or I pay for the tin uh, uh, for the tin roof which was normally expensive for villages yeah. and this was one way of fostering education the second way and we all of us did like this we paid school fees for children who came across our way. Some of the missionaries had, of course, depending on how many were in primary school, how many in secondary school or in university, but some paid for not only 20, 30, more than 100 school children school fees. This was a great contribution for the education of local people. And everybody did it like this. I still have many names and addresses of uh, clients, so to say, boys and girls whom I paid for their education. Wow. And this is definitely where we thought 
we don't create beggars, but we give them a chance to become self-supporting later on. So it, in most of the cases, it has turned out like this. How wonderful. What a wonderful legacy then, Father Pius, you leave. And therefore, I imagine it must have been very sad for you to leave Africa. I did not want to leave Africa, you can imagine. But when I was getting on in years, moving towards 70, I asked the archbishop, my superior, whether he had a place where I could do more pastoral work for the remaining active years. For 35 years, I had been always heading first the seminary here, then later on the monasteries, several monasteries, with a lot of building work, a lot of administrative work, and I wanted to be closer or become closer to people. And then he asked me, yeah, Ravanal, can you imagine? <laughs> At that time, he was looking for a second man because there were problems. The problems had arisen between the monks in Ravanal and part of the village. I didn't know Ravanal, I didn't know Spanish, but I was bold enough to say yes. And this is how I came to Spain a culture and a tradition which I never had thought of to go to. And of course I had to learn Spanish, and if you have to preach every Sunday, you have to learn it well. And there I was. You spent uh, uh, 10 years in Spain. You are now back at your home, really, uh, back in Germany. Um, and when I looked at the pictures online, I was astounded at what a beautiful place it is where you, where you are now, yeah. back, back home. It looks beautiful. We have had a pandemic around the world, now a yeah. war in Europe. Yeah. Pilgrimage is a, a means to escape some of the realities of the world, and it, it's a chance for reflection in a way. What do you think and feel? when you reflect on your time on the Camino? If I look at the hours or the days I spent in the garden, you mentioned already, because I didn't want to compete with our uh, founders who were very good cooks. I didn't want to compete and could, could, could not compete, probably, in cooking. So I had to take care of the laundry because this was not much wanted by the others. Uh. So I, for 10 years, I took care of the laundry, including ironing and everything. And then I found our properties, our plots neglected. Just adjacent to the monastery, there was, they had purchased the plot which was formerly the home of a family but then collapsed and torn down, I changed it in a resting place for pilgrims, planted flowers, trees, and it was very much accepted, even the benches and uh, where they could rest. You always could find pilgrims resting there. This was definitely 
away where I could step in. And then our vegetable garden. We had other plots, one where I wanted, which I wanted to change into a park. I planted lots of timber trees, nice trees, and they did quite well. So I was on the land in the compounds, whereas my confrere was working in the administration, in the house, and in the kitchen. Yeah. And I must say, due to the contacts I had to the many pilgrims passing through, I was quite content with the work I had to do. When I was 10 years, approaching now 80, then I felt that the work in the on the compound, using the uh, chainsaw, for example, and the, what do you call it in English? Uh, the, uh, for cutting grass and shrubs. Oh, the, the, the mower, the, the trimmer? The mower or The trimmer. Or, whippersnipper. Yeah, this was the proper expression. <laughs> then I found it was getting tougher for me and it was time to go home and I asked the archer, but suggesting to him even cardinals are supposed to retire with 80 and as I was approaching 80 I thought it was time to come to go home and he agreed this is how I came home but it was simple on one hand, it was simple. I had not to learn any new language anymore. I was in my own language yeah. area. And the daily schedule and minor tasks, I was made guest master. These were things I could easily step in and feel at home. And so it has been for my first year. Well, how wonderful that you are home, the Arch Abbey. And yeah. it is so lovely to have had the opportunity to speak to you. I'm certain that there will be very, very many pilgrims listening, Father Pius, who you have spoken to and blessed from the pulpit in Rabinel del Camino and been part of their blessing, part of their journey and part of their Camino experience. I, I thank you very, very much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. I wish you well. Thank you very much. I have reached now my home place. I'm not intending to walk many Caminos, uh, not even to drive many journeys. But otherwise, I must say I am also grateful for the years in in Spain, they were good years. We have, I have had many encounters with pilgrims and I hope that I could help somebody, or many of them, with some uh, words which I could give them along their way. So that the one once told me, you're staying or my staying with you has made the hiking 
has turned the High King into a pilgrimage. And this is at least something. And there were not only there was not only one person, it was felt like this. Many of them were inspired by their stay with us. So let's hope that they will benefit. And now back home when I have to say masses for for the people here in the Abbey, I always ask them to continue praying for peace, that the Holy Spirit may inspire those in charge, especially Putin, but all the politicians with the with the Holy Spirit, that peace and togetherness may grow. This last experience was perhaps the best in Ravenal because on the Camino meet so many people of different cultures, not, uh, languages and background. And the best experience for the pilgrims normally is that they experience you don't need much, you can be happy, and you can live together with so many different people. And this is what I hope will continue with our presence here in Spain. Now, thank you. My guest this week was Father Pius Mühlbacher. Father Pius was on the line from Germany, where he now lives in the community of the Archabbey of St. Attilian in Arising. My apologies for the quality of the line at times. It's the monks of Rabinel del Camino who say on their website, Our way of life, as defined by St. Benedict, follows that desire for God. Everything in the monastery, the day-to-day organization, the times of prayer and work, the relationships between the brothers, obedience to the superior, our pastoral activity, our dealing with the outside world, and many other dimensions of our life, is conditioned by that fundamental movement that leads us to God. What a blessing to have them in our lives and on our Camino. Thanks for your company this week and every week. And until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere.